if you want to be taken seriously, if you want to advance yourself, go ahead and sit at the table. You've got nothing to lose. You don't even have to talk. Put your body at that table. I'm a Muslim and that's okay presents some of the most interesting women I know. Hi, everyone. May peace be on you all. And welcome to episode five of my special interview segment of some of the most interesting women I know. And today is my very, very special guest, not just because she's my last guest, but because I've known her for a very long time under similar circumstances as my very first guest, Becky. My first guest is Tina Cook and I've known her ever since her daughter, Caroline, and my son, Ibrahim, have been born because we found the same portal, our high need support group, and have been together ever since. So how, how are Bonded. you, Tina? I'm doing so well. Thank you for inviting me. I was so thrilled when you invited me. Oh, how, how, how could I not, Tina? How could I not? <laughs> After all these years and all those <laughs> nights we've spent together, even though that may sound scandalous, more scandalous than it actually is, but you know, we never spent daytime chats together. It was all nighttime chats. That's what yeah. Yes. Uh, before I go uh, go further into that, please give us a brief intro about yourself because you sent me your bio and I was like, this is complicated and she can do a better job of doing this than I can because I'm going to mess this up. Because all I know is that professionally you're in IT and I wanted to, uh, I am emphasizing that for a reason. I'll get to that later, but please explain to us about yourself, where you're from and what do you do? I am—I was born and raised in Kentucky. I'm a proud Kentuckian. I was born in Eastern Kentucky and made my way to Central Kentucky around the Lexington area. We call mm-hmm. this area the bluegrass. A lot of people wonder if we really have bluegrass. No, there's just blooms in the springtime on the grass blades. That <laughs> I've always make it look wondered. Just, that's that's what you <laughs> it's the bluegrass straight as uh, state. Yeah. Why? It's just those little blossoms that oh, come wow. on, out on the bluegrass um, grass blades. In the springtime, and it kind of casts a bluish tinge, and so that's where that comes from. That's where that comes from. Um, Yes, and we do three things very well here. We do bourbon. Mm -hmm. Uh, I live in I live in Woodford County, and people who who might be bourbon fans will be familiar with Woodford Reserve, which is a very famous high high tier, top shelf, I guess, brand of bourbon. Mm -hmm. It's right down the road. Uh, On windy days, I can wake up and walk outside. I'd smell them cooking mash. Interesting. <laughs> so um, I, I live and uh, with my last assignment as an IT consultant, it was um, near the Buffalo Trace Distillery. And I would pull up in the morning and you could just, you would be overcome with the smell of mash. And some days I was like, oh, that smells like grits. I'm ready for breakfast. And then some days I'm like, whoa. I'm going to be have a buzz before I even get into this. Even morning. get to get to work. I yes. mean, that's, you can't help not be a little bit drunk on it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's one of the things we do well here in Kentucky. The other one is thoroughbred horse racing. This is right. the horse yeah. capital of the world. And the country around here is full of gorgeous, pristine horse pastures and beautiful flowing hills and landscapes. I mean, that is like, that's like a fantasy for me, Tina. I've always loved horses. <laughs> yeah, I'm jealous. I really am. <laughs> beautiful here. And the other thing we do well is uh, basketball. Ah. The UK basketball team is revered here. If you're not a fan, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> uh, 
So that's about, you know, where I live. I'm a senior technology consultant, as mm. you mentioned, for a large uh, federal government contractor called CGI Federal. Wow. I've been with them for eight years and I'm, I'm really happy here. Um, they treat me very well. That's nice. And we just, as yes, there are nice perks and, and I'm treated very well and I work with very talented and, and diverse teammates. That's great. So I'm assigned to, uh, yes, and I'm assigned to a large federal government agency right now, and we just help them with technical anal- analysis. Um, we manage some of the applications they use so that they can do business, things like that. Mm-hmm. But tell us, tell the listeners about your family as well, because your family is the reason why we met. I mean, at least one of them. <laughs> it, is. it is. I have three daughters. Yes. They are very fierce, intelligent, compassionate, and kind. Just know, like their mama. Thank you. I worked very hard to bring them up that way. When me and Tina met, it was because uh, Caroline was not sleeping and Ibrahim was not sleeping. And we came together online. And that's that's 10 years ago. That's why I was mentioning to Becky. That was a long, long time ago. But it's... Yes, double digits. Double digits. I can't believe it. That's how, our, how big our kids have gotten Man, it was hard at that time, but when you look back at it, we made it, Tina. We made it, you know, somehow we made it through, through those years. But it was it was interesting. I mean, I don't think anybody really understands until they have that one kid. I mean, and you have three daughters. So tell me, if you had to like rate it on a scale, were your first two daughters the same as Caroline? I don't know. I mean, was there a marked difference or nothing. were they the same? They were nothing. And, uh, you know, nothing like Caroline. And uh, looking back now, we have a word for those kinds of babies, unicorn mm, babies. I know. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea, though, that they were unicorn babies back then. Right. Um, there's quite an age gap, which we can talk about later. Um, so when I found out I was having a baby, I was like, okay, this is a surprise. Neither my hu- husband nor I expected it. I thought, okay, I can raise kids. I'll be okay. And we found right. out that it was a girl. And I was like, you know what? I can raise a girl with one hand tied around my back. I'm right. Because you already had two. And Caroline was born. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and she was born and she didn't sleep. And what I found myself doing was, you know, you don't forget the mothering things that you do, like right. getting your babies to go to sleep. So I was doing the same things that I did with my two older girls who would just, you know, spontaneously fall asleep anywhere. I could right. put them in a bassinet, roll them around the house with me as I did dishes, laundry, cooked you name it, and they slept, and I would have to wake them up to eat. That's incredible. But so I'm doing, isn't it? So I'm doing all of these things, and they're not working with Caroline, and I start to lose it, and I start to unravel. And this went on for several months until, out of desperation, I went back to Baby Center, I think, which is how we initially all met each other, yes. our little group at least, because yes. our kids are in the October, October 2010 birth group. Yes. So out of desperation, I went back there and I just said, um, I was crying as I was typing this and I was had shut myself up in my daughter's room to let my husband deal with Caroline because I couldn't. And as I, I was crying, I was just typing, here's what my kid does. Basically, she doesn't sleep. I'm losing my mind, SOS. And out of the digital darkness, Becky Callen springs and says, oh, your baby must be high needs. Yeah. Please come over to Facebook and join yes. our group. And then... It was like a ray, a single ray of light from the heavens shone down and just enlightened me. And it certainly didn't make the sleep situation any better, but I finally knew that it wasn't 
just it wasn't me exactly it was her (laughs) and uh I was listening to your podcast with Becky and I wanted to agree with something Becky said that these kids, you know, we speculated back then that these kids were highly intelligent. Caroline was just accepted into the gifted and talented school here last year. So it's like, yep, I knew this all along. I knew this from day one. They're, They're smart as the Dickens. That's why they have this aversion to sleep. I don't know what the connection is. But it's there. It's just that this there has to be some some like linkage. The way their brains can't shut off and makes them extra smart. But ooh, it it has the tendency I to think, drive everybody else insane. Yes, I swear. I think they would just lay there and you know try to solve the the biggest problems of our world, and we just didn't know it. Their minds were yeah, just yeah. cranking exactly all the time. Uh, but I think you know, I'm not sure if you remember because I think my memory has issues because I lost sleep for so many years. Like I really think I sustained some brain damage. <laughs> Me um, too. <laughs> we, we ended up hiring a sleep consultant. I do remember that. So I worked from home when Caroline was born and for the first two years she was alive. So I could easily live in my bag lady clothing all day, mm. every day, walk around with these huge black circles on my face and nobody would know it. Right. And I could jump in the living room and take, you know, a 15 minute power nap if right. Adam, my husband had her. Um, so I got a job outside of the house and none of that would fly anymore. And I know, I man. Said, People are so inconvenient. Like can't, can't bring a screaming baby to work. <laughs> really? I mean, I, I can't, I can't show up in front of my company's clients like, like this. <laughs> so I have to do something. And so I contacted We Sleep. So it's weesleep.ca. It's a mm-hmm. Canadian uh, sleep consultant. And she changed my life. She gave me a 10 day plan for Caroline after mm-hmm. we um, consulted with her for about an hour over Skype. And she said, if you follow this 10 day plan, Caroline will be sleeping by night 10 through the night every night. You'll just be able to walk out and turn out the light and say good night. And it, it worked. It worked. I remember that. She started sleeping through the night. But even until then, Tina, I mean, it, it was maddening. I mean, I, I, I don't doubt that because it was maddening for all of us to have to go through yes. that, that constant and it's not just that they're not sleeping. Even when they're awake, like even if they like slept through the night and they wake up, they're waking up not like happy babies. There's always like there's some fuss that there's there or some tantrum that's right there that's ready to explode. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. It's just even uh, even with their the complete sleep. And like my, now my son, he sleeps through the night, but there's no small emotions with them. There's always a big emotion. So that's that's also another one of those challenges you have to tackle with high needs babies is that their emotions are never small or there's no, I guess, pause button or patience. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's it's very hard for them to not react in a big way to, to even the smallest things. Yes, the the intensity with these kids, the intensity level is through the roof mm-hmm. at all times. And Caroline was my child who I couldn't turn my back on. Right. Again, my older two daughters, unicorn children, I could take one of them out into the yard with me, sit them next to me, and they would play with a blade of grass for three hours, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the kind of kids they were, and I didn't realize that kids were any other way than that until Caroline. Yeah. There was there was none of that happening with her. Yeah, none of it. 
but you know, <laughs> we we made it ten years. We've made it. And, yeah. you know, the, the challenges are different, but at least we're not losing sleep over it. You know, <laughs> I guess it's and, one of those blessings from the past ten years. You know, after ten years, yes, you get to sleep some. Yes. And you even braved another child after you. Oh gosh, I, I you know, <laughs> because you had two unicorn kids. See, I was like, maybe the second one I'll get lucky. And that's the thing, you have three girls, and you know, I'm always complaining to you that I'm the testosterone fest. You know, there's too many guys in my house. I need oh, yeah. some estrogen other than myself. I'm being completely canceled out, and I was hoping <laughs> that my second one would be a girl. It just didn't work out that way, and even my second one is high strung. It's just that not the same kind of high strung. Is just a little less high strung, but he's high strung as well. But you know, it's too late now. And then when my mom says, "Why not try for another one? It may be a girl." I'm like, "No, ma, no, not risking it, ma. My, my sanity's taking a big hit. I can't do it." Yes, we call it. We call our house the, the estrogen swamp. <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> There's so much estrogen here. Uh, my oldest daughter has moved out now, so we're down one. Uh, yeah, but I, estrogen, I don't but... know, man. I mean, I'm pretty sure you still miss her. I mean, I don't know. I miss her. <laughs> I think I just need oh, her. Yeah. She just, uh, she lives across town. Like five, I live in a small town. She lives like five minutes oh, away. Then that's not bad. Yeah. She and her fiance are. Um, oh, wow. Just bought their new house. Yay, congratulations to them. And, uh, yeah, and so it's just really a hop, skip, and a jump over to her. Oh, house that's great. Oh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yes, so they're moving on to independent life. That's fantastic. But the the one thing, the other thing that I, I wanted to discuss or maybe start up a small, I guess, internet debate upon. Um, you're in IT, uh, Tina. And how long have you been mm-hmm. in IT? Oh, um, approaching my 20th year. Yeah. And you are, and I even hate to say it this way, but amongst the the few women that had started out in IT. So how was it then and how is it now for you in IT? I can tell you not much has changed with respect to it being a male-dominated field. Really? It's still com- It's still completely male-dominated. I've been lucky uh, over the past 20 years to have mm-hmm. little, you know, pockets here and there of a group of awesome um, technical women who have mentored me, trained me. I've learned from them, just amazing women. And um, I have one that I'm working with now. She's a young woman who reminds me a lot of my daughter and uh, she's a great person. So I always get really excited to work with women in technology. Right. But it's still um, so male dominated. You still come across a lot of bros. Do you know what I mean when I say I, bros? I get that. And the, I think that, um, yeah. like, trace back. Um, how did you get into IT? I mean, it's, I'm not saying it's an unusual field for women. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, when we, when we were growing up, those were not choices for mm-hmm. us. So how did you end up there? Like, I know for me, it was either you'd be a doctor, engineer, if you're lucky. And then you had... Um, uh, home economics, like that's what I would yeah. do. Yes, yeah. 
No. Uh, at the end of high school, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to college. The only thing I'm good at is art. So why don't I, why don't I try to pursue art? And my first year in college, I thought that's what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And that was 1990. Yeah. <laughs> that's how old I am. I don't care. No. Um, so I, I found out my first daughter was coming the next year and dropped out. And so I had her, uh, I became pregnant with my second daughter. And during that time, I was our office manager at a pretty big bookstore here in central Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an independent bookstore, but it was like at Barnes and Noble, you know, kind of level. It was huge. Right. And so part of, part of my job was maintaining like the point of sale uh, terminals and computers and making sure we always had a list in a, a computer somewhere that customers could access that had the name of every book in print. Right. And fixing label printers and things like that. And we would call in a computer service to work on our LAN or our WAN, and I would have to sign off on those um, invoices. And I thought, you know, I am fixing these point-of-sale consoles and ticket printers and receipt printers so easily. It's like I don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm looking at these invoices and how much we're paying these outside people to come in and do other things for us. And I thought, I can do this. Right. And I want this money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can make this money because I'm basically doing what these people are. Right. Uh, with a couple of exceptions. So I left that job to have my second daughter, Rachel, and I was a stay-at-home mom for five years. And during that time, a local um, private college sent out a bunch of mailers that said, hey, we have an information systems degree program, um, and we're having classes in the evening for people who work during the day or who are mm-hmm. parents. You know, sign up if you want to take classes. And that was it. That's where it started. I took those classes. Um, I graduated with honors with a wow. 4.0. Up. I found somebody to give me a chance on my first job in mm-hmm. 2001. Mm-hmm. And I've just taken off with it since then. I've reached levels I never thought I would reach. That's fantastic. Just, I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's one of those things that came at you when you least expected it. Yep. It did. It kind of, you know... I knew that was what I wanted to pursue when I was, you know, after I had Rachel and I was staying home and I thought, how do I do this? How do I go to school? The closest one was University of Kentucky and all they had was a daytime program. Mm -hmm. So this like postcard from the private university near me just kind of fell into my lap out of the air and it changed my life. Right. And you got into the field. And as you say, what do you think stops other women from getting into this? Because, I mean, I know there's a lot of, I guess, stereotype that just women are not good at this, but I don't believe it at all. And what do you think is the biggest hurdle for a lot of women to get into IT? First, I I think the first hurdle is that things that start very young. Mm -hmm. Girls being told that they're not good at math or science. Mm -hmm. I think our society is moving away from that now. Mm -hmm. I can see that by those um, commercials you see on TV about girls who have STEM role models grow up and they'll stay in STEM. Like we have so much more in place to try to get these girls engaged and interested in math and science. So there's that. Um, I think that's definitely going to help. But what I think is the obstacle for a lot of women is, and what I've personally experienced over almost 20 years, is that if you're in technology and you're a woman, no one takes you seriously until you prove yourself. Right. You have, you have to do something that is measurable and quantifiable and do it well and do it right. And then after two or 
three times that people, the men primarily that I work with, start to take me seriously and realize this is a person who knows what they're doing. Right. Right. Uh, and I need to... Again, it's, it's so unfair that, and again, I don't know from your experience, but it's, it's just that from what I feel uh, when I was in, when I was working in like fields of art and advertising, graphic design, is that you're not allowed to make a mistake that your mistake marked heavily against you just because mm-hmm. you're a woman. And th- that's the thing. Mm-hmm. You have to always be perfect. If you make a mistake, then you're like, oh, she can't do this because she's a woman and your woman should not be in like such and such, such, such field. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's- yes, I've experienced that so much too. And um, I just changed into a new position Within my company, um, the contract I was working on previously for my company, CGI, was canceled due to COVID. Um, And so I I just rolled onto a new project, which was a really positive change for me. I'm so happy to be here, but I'm going through that same process again. Oh, gosh. Um, Even though I'm I'm coming in at a senior level. Right. um, Everyone knows, you know, that I'm coming in uh, from another position in my company and I was a technical lead in that position. I feel some of that again but I'm hoping you know as things move along and as I start engaging and, and fixing things um, right that'll I mean, that'll change I hope I hope so I mean because again with it being the pandemic as is securing positions is hard getting a job is hard and then if you are in the IT IT field and you're a woman you've got a lot of things stacked against you when it comes to hiring so I think it's just yes. unfortunate that there are these many hurdles that we as women have to jump over just to be recognized that we know what we're doing and it's not fair that we ha- we're judged so harshly. Right. And I think one thing that I have really tried to use to my advantage is that not just me, but I think women are better mm-hmm. communicators, like 1000% right. better communicators <laughs> most of the time, not all the right. time. So I've used that to get promotions and to be put in in positions of decision making because I'm able to talk to people. And I've worked with with people and I'm going to say this, they've all been men. Um, There's not not to say there's no women out there who are also like this, but there are some men who don't want to talk to anybody. We Mm -hmm. put them in a cubicle, put them in their office put them in front of their computer, let them write code all day, not say a word to anybody else. And that's what they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think, so I think people like me are unusual. Right. You have the blend technical skills and the communication skills. Right. Right. And the ability to um, gain, help, help my company gain more business and, right. and leverage that. Right. right. Um, so I've, I've really tried to work the heck out of that. I, that, is, and that that's, I think that's such a huge advantage because it's, Sure, you do need to do what you have to do to write code effectively is is what your profession is, but it's only part of what it means to be successful in, a, in an IT company. And you use your communication skills to bring in more business and be able to communicate the needs of the business as well. I think that's, you know, it's just a a great advantage for you and other women who may be maybe on the on the fence that should I pursue a field that is so male dominated that you could be so heavily discriminated against in I mean that's the thing personally 
it does take a lot to have to push through. It's not a glass ceiling. I mean, when it comes to IT, IT, it's not a glass ceiling that women have to push through. It's basically basically a brick wall over your head. Yes, absolutely. If if there was like one piece of advice that you could give to women who are listening. Who are considering that they're good at what they do in IT, that they want to get into the field, but they're on the fence. What is that one bit of advice that you could give them that they'd enter into the field and be able to make a place for themselves? First, I would say focus on learning how to communicate and do it well. Mm-hmm. In my profession, technology consulting, communication is the number one skill that you can have. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's unique to consulting. Any any industry that you would work in, right. I would advise that. The second thing is, whenever you start, whenever you're given a job, offered a job and you take that, go in there and take the bull by the horns. Mm-hmm. Get your work done and then some and ask for more. Right. And that's how... That's how you get ahead. That, I've pers- personally lived that. <laughs> right, right. And a lot of women yep. hesitate to do that. I mean, me as they well. Do. It's just, it's a hard thing. We're not conditioned to demand these things. Because we're not. It's not, it's not, there's nothing wrong with asking for a raise. But we're just not, I mean, especially my generation and upwards, that we're not conditioned to ask for it, even though we deserve it. We work hard for it. Yes, Yes. Another another thing just popped into my mind. A third piece of advice. Yes. Take take your seat at the table. Mm-hmm. When you go into meetings with your coworkers or with your coworkers and your customers or clients, don't be a wallflower. Another thing women tend to do, and I've witnessed this myself over the past five or six years, is they will, if there are chairs against the wall, they'll go sit back there and just listen. Mm-hmm. No. If you want to be taken seriously, if you want to advance yourself, go ahead and sit at the table. You've got nothing to lose. You right. don't even have to talk. Put right. your body at that table. Right. And if you find an opportunity to speak um, when it would benefit you or your client, speak up and be heard. Right. And yes, take take your place. Mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic advice, Tina. I mean... It's it's hard for us, Tina. We got to stick together. We got to make make this work for for all, us and the other women out there. Yes, um, and and I'm trying to. Um, there are some young people I'm working with now that I really like, and they're at the beginning of their career, and they're right. so intelligent and have so much promise. And I'm really trying to be their cheerleaders, for <laughs> both of them. One one is a young man, and one of them is a young woman. I'm like, you guys, we're ballers. We have got this. The best technical analyst team. And the company has just stepped up to the plate. You have no idea what we're going to do. And so oh, that's I'm really happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be their cheerleaders. I really like training. Them yeah, uh, then that's people. the thing. I think those that um, are just coming in, they need good mentors. The mentors as well that, you know, just they're that they, I mean, when I was younger, I wish I had like some really good mentors that just took you took you not by the hand but you know it's okay if you make a mistake we're just gonna Mm -hmm. try to figure this out together yes and if anybody's listening going into a job interview and you're asked to describe a mistake you made be prepared to answer that question and I I interview candidates for my Mm -hmm. company and I always ask that question I want to hear about a legitimate mistake and a mistake that the person made and, and what they did to remediate that if you tell me you didn't make a mistake, then you're not human and you're not getting this job. <laughs> <laughs> and I always try, if they're struggling, I tell them the story about my first mistake that I made when um, I got my first programming job. I made right. an update to printers. 
I deployed it to production and suddenly the entire warehouse couldn't print. And we had a shipping department trying to print invoices to put in boxes oh, wow. to get our materials out the door onto the <laughs> FedEx truck. Nobody could print. And luckily I had a mentor and a trainer, um, right. a wonderful woman named Melanie, um, who's still a good friend to this day. She laughed at me first. And second, she said, let's go look at this and see what you did wrong. And she stood over my shoulder while I fixed it. And that's how it should be for everybody. That, that's how it should be. I mean, that's the thing. I think a lot of people, it's a, when you're admitting to the mistake, especially during an interview, it can be pretty, you're not sure if that's going to cost you your, your potential yeah. job or not. Yes, yes. That's exactly what interviewers are looking for. Is they, you're, you're human. We right. all make mistakes, every right, single right. one of us. So what, what they're trying to get out of you is, did you, how did you identify the mistake you made and what did you do to fix it? That right. is, that's what counts. Right, right. And that's what interviewers want to hear. Right. It's, you know, and, and I hope that whoever's listening, you know, they get take, take away key advice, not just for the IT, IT industry, for it, but I guess women in any industry that if they're there, that they should be able to communicate, first of all, as you said, and then be able to show that they're there, that they matter. And not in not an arrogant sort of way, but you know, every person deserves a chance to be seen, heard, and that's that's all there is to it. Yes. And it's much harder for women. It is. Um, so yeah. Like we've been discussing. So I really um hope if somebody's listening to this young woman out there that she takes my advice to heart. Yes. That yeah. that's coming from twenty twenty years of experience and tried and true. Tried and tests. true. That's that's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that we still do have to fight our way through it, but it's getting better. You know, I see uh, so many like young women they're doing all those things that it's when we were growing up it was not even possible you know they're working not just remotely but they're working globally and it's fantastic that they have that level of confidence in themselves and that that amount of freedom to just go out and pursue their dream i think it's fantastic and i yes, you know and that's that's what i hope for all of your daughters, our kids, that they'd be able to do those things without the same boxes that we were stuck in. Yes. Another thing I wanted to mention to you is the change I saw um, within my company, within my team, everywhere around me when the Me Too movement came about. Mm -hmm. that, that was a turning point right. in the world of IT. Women started speaking up. My company suddenly formed a women's forum. Mm -hmm. which is just like a huge committee that, that any woman within my company can join. And they had different functions and different things they do to discuss and promote women's issues. Right. And so um, what I've done every year since then is I've been vocal about asking, what is my company doing at the highest levels, at the corporate level, to put women in decision-making positions right. and to put them in visible corporate positions so that not just people like me who've been in the technology industry for 20 years, but these young women right. that I'm interviewing and hiring and working with and, and mentoring, they need to see that. Right. Um, Beyonce said, I, I love me some Beyonce. We watched, <laughs> Home <laughs> we watched Homecoming together. And one thing she said well, stuck with me and I'll never forget it. She, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm -hmm. And for these, yes, for these young women coming in, and for these young men of color, we need that at the top. It, exactly. It's so, so important that they, they be able to see themselves in that position to be able to. And it's hard when you don't see yourself. And I, I'm seeing this as, as someone who's 
part of the minority when we can't see ourselves in those positions, in those high-level positions. The struggle is literally a hundred times harder. Yes. We know we can get there, but we've never seen anybody do it before. And every uh, obstacle that comes our way becomes ten times harder. So mm-hmm. to have women in those leadership leadership positions is so integral. So at this point, yes. any woman there, you know, becomes a role model for every woman. Doesn't matter where she comes from. If, if she's, you know, if she's white or if she's from a minority, it doesn't matter. At least she can see some part of herself there. Yes, we have an opportunity once a year. Um, we have like a State of the Union address for the company where. The corporate executives get on a like a, a cast with us from our corporate headquarters mm-hmm. in Canada, and they tell us how things are going and what our initiatives are for the next year. And they say they send out a questionnaire. Hey, if you want to uh, have anything addressed at this year's meeting, what would that be? Send us your questions. And for the past like four years at least, I ask, what is the company doing to promote women? Right. I love hearing that we have a women's forum and a women's committee. That's fantastic, but it's just a start. What actions are coming about to to put women in these positions in these visible positions? And it's not even just like creating positions for women. That's not it. It's all those invisible barriers that you know you've talked (laughs) about. In in, that's the same challenge that you're not taken seriously, even though you know what you're doing. You've been doing it for the past twenty years. There needs to be not just that there is a position there for women and that they'll hire women. Is just that when they're there, how do you even the playing field? That when she's there, that she's taken seriously and what she yes. has to offer, and that she's also allowed to make mistakes, just like anybody. It's not even you know. Yes. It's not like that. Men in power are not making mistakes. They are. We can see it. It's it's all over. But I mean, I mean this in all seriousness. It's just that we have to be allowed to be there and be human at the same time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's a, a woman I've worked with for many years who's exceedingly intelligent and accomplished and has proven herself over and over again to be mm-hmm. one of the most valuable assets I've ever witnessed within our company. And I've seen other men promoted before her almost at light speed. And not a second thought, to my knowledge, has been given to advancing her. And it's just depressing. <laughs> it, it is. And it, that's the thing. Those are the things that need to change. And I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. And I've said this over and over again, that I do have a lot of hope in those that are younger than us, that are coming forward, that literally that have been spearheading not just the Me Too movement, but also the Black Lives Matter movement. All of these that are there and are so integral for all the changes that have been a long time coming. And I'm hoping that with them coming into these integral positions that they can change some of these, you know, archaic systems that still exist, the archaic mindsets that still exist. Yes. My company, one thing I really like that they did recently is after um, George Floyd was murdered and the protests happened all over the country, they scheduled a bunch of meetings that we could sign up to attend just to have an open forum to talk about these things and what our concerns were on a personal level, if we had any concerns within the company. Mm-hmm. And I really loved the way they held these meetings. And that was something that I attended. I wanted to, and I wanted to mention that at one point, 
in my career with my company, I looked um, at my le- at my management that went all the way up to the founder of the company, and every single one of those in that chain was a white man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. Um, so this really, you're right, it isn't just a women's issue. Um, mm-hmm. We've got Black Lives Matter, and it's so important for, for me right. also to see people uh, with different skin colors than me to be up in that, that ranking at the corporate level. Right. And it, it's just a matter of if we can't change the hierarchy, it's not like ripping somebody off of their position then replacing with another person. It's not. That's not how it is. It's just there are many, many people who are equally qualified, but there are a lot of mindsets that prevent people of color from being able to get where they deserve to be. It's, it's, a, it's as simple as that. And women, people mm-hmm. of color, they all, to different levels, I can't even say if to the same levels, but, you know, to different levels, they experience those things. It's not just, it's not as simple as saying, oh, if you work hard, you will get what you deserve. You'll get a promotion. It's not as simple as that. It's, no. a, it's a narrative that we've been fed for a long time, but it's not a true narrative. There is discrepancy between what we hear and what actually happens. You could deserve a certain thing, but you're not going to get it. And there are a lot of underlying factors about it. I mean, that's unfortunately Mm -hmm. how it is. Again, I see the hope that's there. And I hope that it's better for our kids that you have three young daughters and they're uh, just entering into this entire sphere of adulthood. I can't even say that without, it's like, I can't believe it. Like Tina's like, big. <laughs> like they're so big, <laughs> you know, but I, I, I'm like, I digress, but you know, they're getting there. They're getting to a place where they will experience the full force of how this world operates. Unfortunately, even right now, it makes me nervous just speaking to my kids about these things, but I will have to, that there will be people who will not treat them as kindly just because they are, they are Muslim or Muslim background or Pakistani background, even though they're born raised here. And mm-hmm. we will have to figure out how to deal with that. But because of this younger generation and they are, they're sick and tired of this. They're sick and tired of this system that exists that has really brought down so many things that they care about. Things like social equity, things like the environment that they care deeply about. And it's just everything's being torn apart around them and they're sick and tired of it. And I'm glad that they they have the courage to stand up to this. Yes. I think that generation, they're, they're going to save us. I honestly yeah. do. Based I mean, on what I've seen over the past few years um, since 2016, which is the year I almost lost all hope. Uh, I've, I've really been so happy at what this generation just, is doing. Again, it's, it was, it's been a long time coming, Tina. It's just, I, and I, I was talking to somebody, it's like, if like my generation and older, and unfortunately it in, involves a lot of good people, we need to just disappear for this, everything to be fixing itself because we <laughs> made a huge mess of everything. And it, it's just, it's, it has to, like, we have to disappear, Tina. I don't know how that's going to work out, but you know, <laughs> it's... I don't know. I'm a Gen Xer. I feel like, you know, we're pretty laid back and chill and, you know, we're, we're not okay with things either, but it's, I, I, it's not it, our time I'm anymore. A, I'm a millennial, like by an older millennial, like a really, really old millennial, but... The thing is, we just could not change enough, Tina. Unfortunately, that's how it is. We couldn't. 
we were also stuck in a lot of things that we didn't question soon enough. You're we right. Not, we did not raise our voices soon enough until there's this whole dumpster fire going on everywhere. It's not even just the U.S. You're like, oh my God, everything is just going to the dogs everywhere and it it's not okay anymore. Yes. Yes. It, like uh, in 2016, it seemed like, you know, okay, great. Donald Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and then Brexit. It was like, really? Can this get any worse? <laughs> And then here we are in 2020, and it did. Uh, like, yeah. hold my hold my beer. Hold my beer, that's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> we went, just went off on a really morbid tangent here, Tina, but the, I, <laughs> it comes from a place of real concern, and I hope that whoever is listening is that they can take away, at least from your experience, that in a place, in an industry that was at one time, and even to some degree now, set against you, you made it. You made it and you pushed through and you're you're there and you're killing it. And that's so fantastic. Thank you so much. It is. And I feel like women are the most resilient creatures on this planet. Mm-hmm. Women can withstand almost anything. Girl, we and give I birth. That, Come on. It's like, literally, <laughs> that is the only thing you need to know. It's like... We make, we make humans. Humans. It's <laughs> very really, hard to make humans. Yes. <laughs> but I think that, you know, just as a whole, women just can withstand. A whole anything. lot. A whole lot. And I feel, I feel like throughout my life, I've seen things. You know some things in my personal life that I've, I've withstood. And I feel like I've stood at the gates of hell and knocked on the door and asked if Satan was home. No, you you stood at the abyss and the abyss couldn't stare back <laughs> at you, Tina. That's how it was. And, and, and I'm still standing and still I made standing. it. And I attribute, I, I attribute that to the female sex. And yes. That was so wonderful talking to you, Tina. But before I let you go, you have to do what every guest in, in my interview segment has had to do. You've ha- you have to go through the rapid fire question round, okay? Let's, let's do I, it. Yes, five questions, and I give you two choices. You choose one or the other. You can give a third one, but it has to be the first thing that pops into your head, okay? No thinking. Okay. 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 So tell me, uh, do you like ice cream or frozen yogurt? Froyo. Okay. Uh, sushi or avocado toast? Avocado toast. Okay, um, let me see. When you put your ketchup on your fries, is it on top of your fries or on the side? On the side. Okay, and just because you are also in the tech field, um, and I've asked this from everyone who's been in the tech field, do you call it a GIF file or a GIF file? GIF. Gosh, it's like four, four out of four. Everybody says GIF. I'm, I'm in the losing <laughs> side here. <laughs> oh gosh, but yeah, no, GIF it was is peanut fan- butter. <laughs> oh, but it was fantastic. You know, talking, just talking to you, Tina, and you give us such great advice about being a mom of a very difficult child. Again, I'm the same, like a very difficult child and being an extraordinary woman of three three beautiful girls, beautiful, smart girls and a woman in the IT field just killing. And I thank you, you know, for being here with me. If you could just give it, give us the, I guess, the sleep consultants web address one more time. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Yes. Uh, you know, for anybody oh, out there do. who needs 
a sleep consultant. You know, this, yes. this one's tried and true. So, you know, she's she's a good one. Yes. And I want to add that her method does not use cry it out or anything that I would consider cruel. Yay. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have considered her. It's we sleep w e e sleep dot c a. Okay, because it's a it's a Canadian business. Canadian business. Yep. So thank, thank you so much, Tina, and thank you everyone thank else you, for listening. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my interview segment of five of the most interesting women I know in my life. And next week I'll be back to regular programming. Until then, you guys take care of yourself and may peace be on you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.